Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Davey Davis, who writes about culture and sexuality. Their first novel, The Earthquake Room, is available through Tiger Bee Press. Read their newsletter about people named David at itsdavid.substack.com. And now, here's our first letter. Oh, this next one broke my heart. Oh, man. This one was... Well, do you want me to read it? I do want you to read it. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, you sort of have to because I read the last one and those are the rules <laughs> that I made up and that are fake. This one was just like, this felt like a grab bag of, I mean, well, anyway, I'll just read it. Um, subject line is my ex's ex. Dear Prudence, my ex and I were married when I was 15 and he was 23 to stop my rebelliousness. We left our religious small town when my ex went to college. I had my son at 16 and I really tried to stay, but even being a single mother with no money or diploma was better than staying married. I also realized that a lot of my acting out had to do with being a lesbian. To my ex's credit, he never told my family where my son and I were or tried to make me stay. We co-parent well, and I'm lucky to have him in my life. Four years after our divorce, my ex introduced me to his new girlfriend, who our son loves. She's great with him, and I was blown away by her. Not only is she beautiful, but brilliant and charming. I thought this is who I would fall for in other circumstances. We exchanged numbers to coordinate about childcare, but eventually became friends. She told me repeatedly that she wasn't into my ex and she broke up with him shortly after quarantine. She and I grew closer after that. She and my son and I video chat almost every day after work to cook dinner together and talk. Now I'm in love with her, but that's not fair, right? I hurt my ex so badly already. I don't need to move on to his ex too. The worst part is she found out how young I was when we were married, and I could tell it bothered her. Even though I explained my family and the church set it up, she said someone in their 20s shouldn't want to have sex with a young teen, and I think it was a factor in her breaking up with him. She told me she's bisexual, and I think we're solid enough that if she rejects me, we'll still be friends. But pursuing my ex's ex after divorcing him is too cruel to my baby's father, right? Is it a faux pas, and should I stop harassing my ex like this, or am I overthinking it? Should I ask him first? Like I said, a grab bag. There's a lot. There's a lot going on here, such that I like mm-hmm. kind of changed my, not my answer, but like the way I structured my answer like five different times in my head. Which um, which one did you end up with? Well, the one I ended up with was the question of whether or not it is appropriate or acceptable for you to ask out your ex's ex is not really the main the main issue here um, because that kind of goes out the window when you factor in the whole entire situation of being married to this guy at 15 and everything that kind of transpired after that. Um, At least like, which is a long way of saying, I don't think that your ex's feelings about whether or not you ask out his ex are of prime importance here. But I don't know. I, I, I would love to hear kind of your reaction. Yeah. I think I went there too. I think, It would make sense to me as a strategic concern um, if it's the sort of thing where like we I need to have at least a civil co-parenting relationship with him. And if part of you worries that he would act out in ways that would make co-parenting difficult, 
and that felt like a serious enough concern for you not to do it, that would make sense to me. Not at all. Oh no, it would hurt him too much that I don't care about at all. Um, I, I neither want to say to this letter writer, like you don't get to think well of him. Now you have to hate him and you can't enjoy the, the nice co-parenting relationship because of how you two got together. I will simply say if your bar of like, you know, he's great because he didn't betray my whereabouts to my abusive family or like try to help them get my son away. That's as, as bars go, I would say that's like the bare minimum for being like a decent human being. That's not a mark of great character. That's just, I would expect that from a stranger on the street. Mm, baseline. Yeah. So I, I get that your family was much worse. Your family of origin was much worse than the marriage you used to escape um, once you were pushed into that marriage. And there may have been ways in which your husband was able to model to you some better or less abusive behavior than what you had grown up with. I want to take all of that into account. And I just also want to say there is no explanation for a 23-year-old marrying a 15-year-old where I feel like, oh yeah, what a good guy. He was really helping her out. I, I, I think that that's wrong. I think he shouldn't have done it. Um, I think if there's a legal loophole for parental uh, consent for marrying off a 15-year-old to a 23-year-old, it's still wrong, and he should not have done it. And the fact that you were gay, like that you, that you think, I hurt my ex so badly already. It's just like, you were a child. Yeah. You were given to him by your parents to punish you. Um, and then later it turned out you were gay. If any of that hurt him, I, I would simply say he participated in the sale of a distressed queer child. So I mean that makes him. me that yeah, and that makes me wonder like it the way that this is written, it feels like she's asking for us to go, like, you're right, he was hard done by. Or at least in making some space from that. And I'm wondering is that how he feels? Like, is that something that he's saying to you? You know, like, I I wonder, I wonder and kind of worry, like, to the extent that he kind of feeds into this narrative where he has done you favors by not outing you, you know, helping your family track you down or whatever. Like, like I said, his feelings kind of don't really matter to me (laughs) in this situation, in the relatively low stakes situation of can I date somebody that this person formerly dated? Um, um, yeah, I, I, I'll just say your ex married you. You say you married him to, you were married to him to stop your rebelliousness, which to me is a pretty clear indicator that you did not, that he didn't even have the sort of fiction of like, well, we're in love. Um, well, she's old for her age. Like it, it sounds like he was pretty aware. And so the fact that you gave birth the next year, I, I am also able to draw some cl- conclusions there uh, about his his conduct towards you. So I just, again, without saying that you have to say, I can't be grateful to the ways that I was able to get away from my family because of that marriage. That can still be true. You can still value that. Um, this guy is not a saint who helped you out. He was not your social worker. He married and impregnated a child who was distressed and gay. I don't think well of him as a result and I don't want you to um, worry about hurting him. Yeah. Um, This woman was right to be distressed when she found out the circumstances under which he forcibly married you. 
I, I applaud her for breaking up with him as a result. My guess is once she found that out from you, she realized like not only did he not tell me himself, he doesn't seem to have done any introspection on on his role in this, again, just like act of child abuse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good for her for dumping him. I'm glad. Speaks um, well to her character. Although again, baseline, right? Like that is a baseline kind of kind of thing. And I mean, also it's like, so either he was in love with you when you were 15. And so now you, that would break his heart, which is gross. And as his ex pointed out, you, or he wasn't in love with you and it was convenience or whatever. And so you don't have that kind of, you know, any hint of like an emotional obligation to him to protect his feelings in that way. Like in both, in both cases, it's just no good. Right. And and even without all of this background, if it was simply just like, is it okay to ask out an ex's ex? My answer to that is almost always going to be some version of it might be complicated, um, but it's not wrong. They don't own someone after having ended a relationship. And adults who are interested in one another and who are available for relationships should think about going out with one another. So if you decide not to because you think it would make co-parenting too difficult or it would put me into more contact with him than I'm comfortable with, that would make sense to me. But if you simply think, I really, really care about this woman, I I, I, I want to go out with her and I can, my God, of course you can. Of course you can. And it sounds like you're, you know, you're close enough that you're already having like I'm not going to say you're in a relationship now, but like the level of intimacy, you're talking to each other every day. She has a relationship with your son. She's amazing with your son. Like there, you know, and, and you seem very comfortable already with the idea of broaching this with her and not afraid of, of it affecting your relationship. It seems to me like talking to her about it, it doesn't seem like there are any downsides to that, you know, whether or not she's interested or whether, you know, like this sounds like something to bring to the table. Because you trust her. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, again, I really want to stress, like, there's just that language of like, this isn't fair, right? I've really hurt him. Is this a faux pas? And I just think there's so many ways in which you still are in the mindset of, I really owe him. He really did me a solid. He really helped me out. And I kind of failed him by being gay. I wish I could have returned his love. And I just really encourage you to rethink all of that, preferably with a therapist, preferably with a gay therapist, preferably with a gay therapist who can say things like, that's child rape that was smiled upon by the church and the state and your family of origin. Um, well, and by the, and by the way, if you had been straight, it wouldn't have made a difference. And you still might have been reached the age where you are now and been like, mm, I don't actually have real romantic feelings for this guy because that's not the, the that's not the circumstances under which we came together. Like it, it's just, you were set up for failure. <laughs> you were abused and then put in a situation against your will. So all of the repercussions of that insofar as other people's feelings is not not on you. Yeah. I'll leave that there because I feel like we just gave this letter writer a ton to process and work through. <laughs> yeah. And and I don't wanna I don't wanna overwhelm her, but good luck. Yeah, I'm good glad luck to that you. you have at least this great lady in your life. And if you don't go out with her, I hope you go out with someone fantastic next. Um and again, I hope everyone you date in the future is able to say things like forcing a fifteen year old to get married because they are quote unquote rebellious is wrong. Agreed baseline. Okay. So this next one I will read. Um, That's all. I'm not going to preface it anymore. Subject is a child's rage. Dear Prudence, my special needs nephew is 12 years old and frequently kicks and punches others during fits of rage. 
Therapy has helped him a little, but he is now three inches taller and much heavier than his mother. Family visits are the only respite my sister gets since the schools have shut down. Taking care of my nephew is a 24-7 job. I understand this, but in June, my nephew had a fit while playing with my six-year-old. In the blink of an eye, he punched my son repeatedly in the face and broke his nose. His mother couldn't pull him off. I had to. Our son had to go to the ER. My wife refuses to visit them again. She ended up in a screaming match with my sister and told her that our nephew needs to be institutionalized. My sister refuses to see the seriousness of the situation. There wasn't any apparent trigger and my nephew is, quote, sorry and promises not to do it again. I have since been over a few times myself to help out. I've noticed my sister wearing long sleeves and last time she had a bruise on the side of her face. She claimed it was from tripping on the stairs. Her ex pays child support but has nothing else to do with his son. Since our mother died, I am my sister's only family. I'm worried she could get seriously hurt. One, so the main reason why the term special needs is something that we should avoid using is because it's like a euphemism for people who are disabled, right? Like we shouldn't use that term because if somebody is disabled, we should use that language. It's not harmful. It's not shameful. It's not a problem. And special needs is kind of a way to dance around that. But another reason why special needs is not good language is because it's nonspecific. And and in this context of this letter, like I don't really know what it means, right? Like the description of, of this child, like the first time I read it, I was like, okay, well, this this kid has some kind of sensory processing challenges or difficulties or, you know, I was kind of running through it in my head and then I was reading through it again. And I was like, well, actually, I still don't really know what it is that's causing um, him to to behave violently to other people in his vicinity. I, I think that's useful too. I think that was part of the reason I didn't want to edit it out of the original letter because I thought it spoke to um, a, a state of mind that we would want to address. And I think it, it pairs with that later throwaway sentence of like, my, my wife says that he should be institutionalized, which is this sort of flatness of special needs is like, well, I don't really know what's going on here or what those needs are or what, what the experience this kid is having. Um, probably none of us could know. This needs to just be something that like an institution handles. And so I think it's that very like vagueness and euphemism that serves to well, what are you supposed to do? You know, we can't let him punch a six-year-old. So institutions are probably like, just get him out of here. That's what needs to happen. And so that's why I think I think something like special needs directly leads into an ease of something like, let's get an institution. That's a good point. Does that make sense? Does that does that feel like I'm taking that too far? Does it Well, no, I think I think it's it speaks to like this when we have decided that basically incarceration is the solution to all of our problems. Um, Incarceration is not only harmful and evil and it's wrong to put people in cages, um, but it also obscures the problems that led people to need to be incarcerated in the first place. So I I agree, like if you're using language like special needs, it doesn't really matter what is going on in this kid's life. It doesn't really matter what he actually needs. What matters is that he is eliminated from the picture so we don't have to deal with him anymore. And and I should start and say, like, I should probably backtrack and say, I'm I'm really sorry that this happened to this child who was severely injured, probably traumatized. Like, that's really scary. It's awful. He did not deserve to have that happen to him. However, I, I also don't think the solution is to lock up this other kid and throw away the key. Um, and, yeah, and, and I wonder if that was... Part of that line of my sister refuses to see the seriousness of the situation. I wonder, is it that she doesn't 
want to see the seriousness or does she feel like the only thing people are willing to get serious about is to tell me that my kid needs to be put away? Yeah, because if that's what she's afraid of, I I imagine that that's part of why she's resisting what you see as acknowledging the seriousness. Yeah, exactly. Because it says here, like the kids in therapy, which is great. We don't know how much we don't know what kind we don't know if we're addressing other medical needs or other emotional needs. Like it sounds like whatever's going on more needs to be done to support this kid and his family. Right. Talk therapy is great for a lot of things, but anything to do with like processing issues, anything to do with anger management or, or physical violence, that's, there's a lot more that needs to be brought into the picture. And which is why for me, I think the question of, um, the question of your nephew interacting with his cousin or with his aunt for the time being, like no question, he shouldn't see that little kid. Not for, not, not for right now until that little kid wants to. And until such a time as it's been determined that it's safe. You, however, can still see the kid. And I think this is a situation where your sister needs a lot of help and a lot of support. And if you can provide it, you should. Um, I, I don't know that, it, I mean, it just sounds like whatever is going on with her family and with her child and the supports that that kid has now that more is needed and that she needs you. I mean, and you're going to have to get, unfortunately, also, you're going to have to get creative about what that looks like. Um, our healthcare system is shit. Our uh, infrastructures for supporting people with, who are uh, neuroatypical or mentally ill or disabled of any kind, they're shit. There are some options available for people, but it's the kind of thing where you have to research, fight, advocate, kick your own ass. A hundred percent, unfortunately, on top of the 24-7 job of caring of your, of caring for your nephew, um, which I, I don't mean to sound defeating, um, but it's, but it's true. Um, and the more people who can kind of carry that burden, the better. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think all of that is just to say, absolutely. Of of course, I'm so sorry about your six-year-old. You're absolutely right to say we can't bring our six-year-old around. That makes total sense. I also understand I, I think your wife was wrong to to threaten institutionalization, but I also really understand why she felt angry and said, I can't visit again. And, you know, hearing from your sister, nothing is not, you know, that hurts. That hurts. My kid was in the hospital. Um, so that makes sense. And I think just to to make that really clear, nobody needs to put bringing back visits with the six-year-old on the table right now. Um, and to say to your wife both, I really understand why you're hurt and angry. And I also want to work with my sister to make sure she's got more resources and that her son has more resources. And to I, I hope your wife can appreciate that it's both true that your sister does not deserve to be experiencing this kind of violence from her child. And she also does not feel like, oh man, if if we could just get him in an institution, then I'll feel good. You know, like it's not, um, that that would cause her a different kind of pain. So yeah, I think as you were saying, Davey, like to talk to your sister and to say, I know we haven't known ways to talk about this previously. And I want to really stress that I'm not bringing this up because I want to say you're fucking up and we need to put him away. But I want to work together to research other options. Maybe that means like seeing a, a going back to her divorce lawyer and finding out if she is able to get more money from her ex. Like that is one possible source of resources right there that might be worth reinvestigating. 
figuring out if there's any in-home care that they can apply for, even if it's just a few days a week. Respite care, IHSS, there's lots. I mean, you know, like I said, there is not a lot, but there is surprisingly more than you would think. And I, I got like for me, like more than anything else, I would just want anyone listening to know that institutionalization is a thing that exists. There are circumstances where some people are a danger to other people and to themselves. There are often circumstances where people are temporary or more longer term, temporarily or more longer mm-hmm. term institutionalized. But the approach of hide them away or get rid of them or cut them off from other people will never heal anyone or help anyone be better or healthier or safer, period. Like, yeah, that is not a solution. Certainly not out of the gate. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing here, too, is it's not to say, like, no matter what, under any circumstances, under all sorts of danger, your sister should just commit to, you know, being alone in a house where she's being harmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but to to really not start with that and to not just throw that around. Like, again, your six-year-old did not deserve to be hurt. And it also seems really clear that your nephew is not doing this because he is, like, fully aware of how he's hurting someone else and wanting to do it. And like, he, he sounds pretty distressed himself. Um, and like he needs more than he's getting. Yeah. And that's just hard all around. And I wish so much I could just say like, there's great systems in place to support you and to help him and to help others so that they are safe. Um, yeah. This one was on my mind a lot this week. So I hope that you're able to come together and figure something out. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's time to bring in friends as well as, as family. I don't know if your sister has a lot of close friends. It sounds like she may have been isolated for a while. Um, and so maybe just the first goal of the conversation can be, I want to have an honest conversation with you. Not because if you tell me something, I'm going to use it against you later or say like, this is evidence that you're an unfit parent. Um, but just because I want to know how much help you really need. And um, I know we both know. Yeah. And find out where that support can come from in your community, in your family, friends, whatever is available. Yeah. And good luck to all of you. I'm just so sorry. And I wish you all health and peacefulness and help and care and safety for all of you. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 